I'm Matt. I'm Annie. And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we're watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it Still Great Bob? This week we're discussing Season 4, Episode 7, The Suitcase, written by Matthew Weiner and directed by Jennifer Getzinger. This episode originally aired on September 5th, 2010, Labor Day weekend. The hit movies that week were The American at Number One, starring George Clooney, new out this week. Number two was a new movie as well, starring Danny Trejo, Machete. Um, and last week's number one moved to number three. That is Takers. I assume none of us have seen it yet. <laughs> I have never not. heard of it. <laughs> no. Yeah. So the hit song this week is still Love the Way You Lie, Eminem featuring Rihanna. Stand there and watch me burn. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> On this, in this episode of Mad Men, on the evening of the Muhammad Ali versus Sonny Liston fight rematch, Don and Peggy go head to head about Samsonite and end up unpacking some baggage. Also, in, in this episode of Still Great Bob, uh, <laughs> we have our dear friend of the pod, Elise, joining us. Hi, Elise. Hi. Thank you for having me. We're always so happy to Thank have you. you. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, so before we get into it, why? Why this episode? Well, I should preface by saying this is my favorite episode of my favorite television show of all time. Um, Peggy has some shit to say and she gets to say it. Um, I, I really, that's why I love this so much. She has all these feelings and emotions pent up about who she is and what she wants in the world, but also about her relationship with Don and how she's often very resentful towards him, um, specifically with like glow coat and stuff this season. And I just, even though they both are at times... I do think they're both being babies at some points. I think it's really amazing that they have they have it out. I just we don't always get time to clear the air with the people in our lives and it just is very important to me doing that and it makes me really happy that these characters like Don sucks obviously, but like I love him as a character <laughs> and Peggy is like I love her so much. So it just really makes me happy that they get to do that. And I just wanted to also note that usually my favorite episodes of shows are the ones where people are having a lot of chats. So like Game of Thrones Kissed by Fire is like a similar, mm. you know, people people have it out a little bit in that episode too. So it's just something I really enjoy watching on screen. Character stuff is the best. Yeah, I know we're not a Game of Thrones podcast, but I think really like Game of Thrones is at its best when it's like people talking in a room. And <laughs> Maybe that's an unpopular yeah. opinion, but... I don't think it's unpopular on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's true. 100% of the audience agrees. We're the audience. <laughs> no argument from anybody ever on that Game of Thrones thing. <laughs> Game of Thrones? What's that? Never heard of it. <laughs> I don't hear anyone talking about Game of Thrones ever anymore. <laughs> uh, all right. So like a little bit of a different episode this week this was a a very special dawn and peggy episode so yeah if you folks are ready let's just 
dive right into the suitcase. What? Let's be like the transit authority and just dig into your suitcase. The suitcase. <laughs> I don't remember. I, I, don't, I hope I'm not misremembering, but like I feel because I watched this. I think season three is when I started watching this show week to week. I vaguely remember, and I don't remember if it was in the marketing or just my feelings watching this the first time, that it was, like, unclear whether Don and Peggy were going to, like, bang. Like, I don't remember if that was something that was implied by the, like, next week on Mad Men. But I've always been so glad that that is not where this episode went at all. Yes. That would have not been... That would not have been my favorite episode of Mad Men. I dare say it might have ruined this whole show for me. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. yeah, I was just thinking, like, I was never even worried about that at all, um, which is surprising because romance is, like, my number one concern of every story for the most part. And I think it's just because if they would have banged, that would have been something that I would not have lived for 30 years on this earth without, like absorbing <laughs> just right. through pop culture um i think that the show would have a very different legacy if after everything that's happened peggy and don bang in this episode yeah. <laughs> right yes and i do think that a lot of this episode works because of their like platonic energy or the the platonic love story i guess if you will mm-hmm. of this yeah. episode i will <laughs> <laughs> but like some, and I guess, like, because, again, we'll probably jump all around because there's, like, so much good, like, meaty stuff in this episode. But, like, to jump to that scene at the bar where, like, Don's like, yes, you're attractive, but, like, I never saw you that way, blah, 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 blah. And, like, as much as, like, this episode is about two people who have insight into each other and know each other, getting to really know each other, part of me, too, is it's, like is Don able to have this type of relationship with a woman because it's like early in Macbeth when Lady Macbeth like asked to be unsexed and blah, 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 blah. And like all this, not to bring up Lady Macbeth discourse, but like, is it because Don doesn't see her as a woman that he's able to have this relationship with her? I mean, maybe not because it's like, she's supposed to be like East coast Anna now and kind of coming into that. And just kind of like, Don's only allowed to have a (laughs) platonic. Yeah, Don's only allowed to have like one platonic relationship with a woman that like is meaningful to him, and unfortunately, that slot opened up. Um, I don't know. There's like, once I get past how much I enjoy this episode on its face value, and like really start diving into kind of some of the gender politics of Don's behavior especially like as a direct support it's like i almost talk my myself into liking this episode less almost so this isn't a counterpoint exactly but i'm still gonna say counterpoint um maybe it's not as much that don can only have one platonic like he can not hmm, okay maybe it's not as much that he can only have like one female friend that is like close to him or like one woman at a time that actually like knows the things about him or that it's like women who can see a little bit deeper into him like are not on the table sexually for him 
And mm-hmm. I feel like we've always felt like Don and Peggy had a little bit more of a deeper connection. Like they've always seen something in each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it was just like they like he I don't think that Don is in a place where he could like put this into words or understanding. But maybe it's just that like him and Peggy had this connection. And so he's that changes like what the relationship can't even be like in his conception. Mm. I do agree that Don has this problem where he can't seem to like equate sex and romantic feelings in the same place as, you know, intimacy, connection, friendship, respect, equality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But and and like because I I definitely don't deny that at all. Um, Women are either objects or they are whatever that you know whatever you want to call the two people Mm -hmm. that he seems to have connected with on that level but at the same time he doesn't open up to other men either he plays this sort Mm -hmm. of thing and (laughs) the more i think about it the more it's just a different kind of seduction um with the way he is with men than he is with women or you know the uh you know (sighs) how do i put this it's control right Sorry, yes, it's con- yeah. it's control, it's seduction, um, with uh with the women that he sleeps with. They tend it tends to be a seduction, uh, in a lot of the ways that the the sort of female gaze, the emotions, the perce the perception of vulnerability and opening up, but also being able to take care of them. But actually, he wants him to take or them to take care of him. And then with the men, when we've seen Pete fall for it, we have Roger who resents him for it. It's this like control as you put the control the power the saving of the day the heroics the knight in shining armor he's strong he doesn't need anybody and they fall for it they all want to fuck don either like psychically or Mm. yeah or both or all of it you know Mm. yeah but he definitely does there is a certain extra something of when it comes to women though (laughs) just oh yeah there's no denying that yeah it's so funny because, like, all of the things, like, the understanding, the someone seeing you that he has with Peggy, and I am in no way, shape, or form, as we said earlier, thinking that they should be having sex. But, like, that, that's, like, something I would want for, with a partner. So it's just so foreign to me to, like, separate those things. So mm-hmm. there's, like, the the Red Sea is, like, between those two things for him. <laughs> it's very separate yeah which one might say is part of his problems one of his part of his many problems (laughs) yes you know who also has a lot of problems oh my god so many people tell us tell us who's up next duck phillips oh my god i honestly like I would have guessed that his showing at the Clio would have been like a one and done for the show. I was oh, really excited for you he's to like struggling. see more. Yeah, like he calls her, he calls Peggy up so drunk. He's like, we'll be Phillips Olsen something probably. Like that sounds really thought out, Duck. Like he didn't just pull this up out of his ass or whatever. Like, I mean, obviously he had the he had those forethought to made. make this like fake business card with that fake address or whatever. But yeah, and like... But he's at his office at at home. At home, <laughs> and then Peggy gets it out of him that basically he's been let go by Gray, which is mm-hmm. not surprising, 
after what happened at the Clio's. And we know, and I don't mean that it was like rightful, but like we saw what happened with Freddie Rumson. Like you embarrass yourself as a drunk, you're going to get fired. Like that's just how this mm-hmm. industry seems to work. Um, so I wasn't surprised by that, but like the way he tried to be like, oh yeah, I'm sure it was mutual. Like, and I, I was just really proud of Peggy for seeing through it eventually. I mean, she, I don't think she did at first, but by the end of the conversation, she kind of knew what was going on there. Mm-hmm. And as I soon have, as she like, called- kind of forgotten about them. Sorry, Annie, go no, ahead. No, sorry. <laughs> I had, uh, uh, yeah, me too. Um, I also liked how he just, his little facade fell apart as soon as she called him out on his being fired and the fact that she suspects he's been drinking. So she doesn't know if she can take this seriously. And it just just melted into, but I need to see you, baby. Please. Ugh. Like, yeah, this, is, I will this never, is really doing it for me. I will never forget Zuck trying to make it so Peggy doesn't know that Kennedy was shot. Like, that will, will never not oh, be God. in my mind. So I will never forget that they had a fling <laughs> it's i hate it so much and then he comes back and he talks about how they were in love like get a fucking <laughs> grip my guy Bruh. yeah <laughs> I, I think peggy enjoyed the attention and that was that mm-hmm. oh at the time yeah 100%. yeah i don't think she was thought she was in love with him and it's just like really like interesting narratively and like it, it comes down to kind of like you know, the whole, like, drunken brawl between two middle-aged men. So <laughs> later. for them. Yeah, right? Um, but the birthday present of, like, oh, you're going to be my creative director at this new fake agency that I've now <laughs> created because I'm fired. Like, it's not even a real job offer because it's, like, I'm saying this because, yes, I want you, but I just want you romantically right like contrasted that with don again and we're just talking about who doesn't and it seems more like at least coming out of this episode after like kind of you know peggy and don hash some shit out that it's like more of like a creative partnership than what duck would be offering and like duck it comes with different strings and it comes with don and like yeah Again, we get some Roger stuff in this episode, but it's more like comic relief-ish. Um, but it's like Duck in this episode is is playing that role that we've kind of figured out the writers are doing with Roger early on, where it's like another male character acting even shittier than Don mm-hmm. to kind of like make Don look more noble or you know look it could be worse yeah right so yeah Yeah. um duck's feet are in this episode and it's a big (laughs) problem for me i don't even have an aversion to feet but i had an aversion to that scene as well um i i honestly like had just like the camera on his feet it's just unacceptable (laughs) yeah Put some socks on. Sorry. Sorry, actor whose name I don't remember. I do feel bad for that actor sometimes because <laughs> what a <laughs> maybe it was fun for him. I don't know, but I just that's not the character I would want to play out over years. <laughs> God, because it just never gets better. And it's so funny that like and Mark Moses is so good at it, but like oh, Mark Moses, before before Elise and I started 
pod race, which if, if listeners oh, are yes, familiar, yes, yes. Elise and I have a, uh, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. But when we were getting ready and, and trialing out our format, we watched the pilot for Star Trek Enterprise. And Mark Moses is in that episode and plays is in flashbacks and plays the father of the lead on that show that's played by Scott Bakula. And he's like, you know, stereotypical good dad, like Thomas Wayne and Batman begins sort of like, like vibes. Right. And it's just so weird to see him in that mode. Cause I'm just, really, he's rem- so used to being duck in my mind. It's just, yeah. I have to go back and see if I have my notes from, excuse me, from when we did that to see, I'm sure I said that exact thing too. Like, it's just weird to see him in that role being like, you know, not a mess even. <laughs> yeah. So I was very excited that this episode had Peggy's birthday because my birthday is this week. Um, yeah, that is exciting. <laughs> but I really... My birthday's it, coming up too and I thought about that and it hurt me when they were like, you're only 26 and I was like, oh, okay. That hurt you. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not, about I'm not to saying be it like... doesn't hurt you, but like... <laughs> um... It was really I'm funny. I'm just saying that's young as fuck. It hurt even me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really enjoyed the like juxtaposition of like how Megan when when Peggy's in the the restroom at the beginning of the episode, how Megan reacts to it being her birthday versus how Trudy reacts to it. Like Megan's like, "You're doing all right, aren't you?" versus Trudy's, "You know, 26 is still very young." And I had this in my notes later, but I I, I'm probably going to mention it now. It's just, it felt very, like, not only was Peggy different from Trudy and what Trudy wants, and we don't know much about Megan, so we don't know what she wants, but, like, it felt almost like a, um, like a generational divide, and Peggy mm-hmm. was, like, in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, which felt very interesting. And then just to like reiterate how funny it was when Peggy and Trudy came out of the bathroom at the same time and Pete's face was like, what were oh you talking God. about? He was terrified. <laughs> he really Weirdly, was. not about you, Pete, or the fact, <laughs> or the fact no, that Peggy's about- already gone through what Trudy's going through. It's fine. Yeah. It was just about how witty Peggy is. <laughs> yeah. Trudy like really Trudy is such an old. Yeah. I love Trudy, but she really is just like an older idea of what a wife is supposed to be in that time. Right. Yeah. Which, she like, just... I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Like, so far, she... like, I mean, obviously, um, they don't always have, like, the happiest relationship. But, like, I think she enjoys that kind of role. Yeah. She definitely has her own agency and, and gets the life that she wants not in a really superficial frivolous way it's just it's what she wants and she's really good at it and she's a very supportive partner but you know she's she's definitely not a doormat no Elsa Brie is so good End of so good yeah, she is really good. she really is her voice is just always perfect I was trying to Google how old Trudy and Megan and what were in comparison to Peggy, but like I really couldn't find it. It just kept telling me like Allison Bree's age. Um, she's the same age as me. That's all I found out. Aww. <laughs> I also have a lot of complicated feelings about Don in this episode. Like he is very nasty to Peggy for a great deal of it. 
But at the same time, when it comes to, like, death of someone you love, I do feel a little sympathetic towards him because he is going through something horrible. But, like, he should still not be treating her as his punching bag, which is definitely what is happening in a lot of the scenes until they get to the point where, like, he's actually willing to, like, listen to her, which takes a while to get yeah. to. Yeah. But, like, when is Don not going through something horrible and is super tortured? <laughs> <That's true>. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> it's so much of his problems he brings on to himself. And so when something <laughs> legitimately bad is, like, happening that I want to feel, like, empathy for him yeah. for, I'm like, you're just suffering all the time. And every time you're horrible to people and it's, like, half the time we could have avoided all of this. Yeah. yeah. I think that might be the difference for me. I, I'm not excusing his behavior, but I think the difference for me is that he, he didn't bring this one on himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is about a, something that is genuinely um, difficult for him. And it's like one of the places in his life that he's extremely vulnerable. But that just makes me wonder why he has to be such a dick the rest of the time when he's taking his anger and feelings out on everyone else in the office. Yeah, there's no reason for that. It's just what he does. So I have a question. Mm. Mm -hmm. And again, this is a, this is one of those situations where retweets do not equal endorsements. Um, But I almost wonder if the reason that he like lashes out at, at Peggy the way he does, um, and, like, I'm thinking specifically of the, like, now infamous and highly mean that's what the money's for mm-hmm. conversation. Is like, we, we've seen Don, everything he does is, like, you know, him trying to work out his shit or not work out his shit, and then it comes out. But with how, like, shitty of a boss and how shitty of a person he's being here, it's, it's like... Is it that phenomena that is very bad? No, thank you very much. But I think is a very real thing that happens, especially with men around women and feminine presenting folks in which they expect to do emotional labor, where it's like, because he has that different relationship with Peggy and kind of that comfort with Peggy, that he's going to lash out even worse than if it had been someone mm-hmm. he was more guarded around normally mm-hmm. um i just think i do you think i was saying that that's my feelings about it do you agree or disagree i guess would be my question that mm-hmm. that's what's going on i think that we have the ability to be meaner to people we're closer with because everything that everything is heightened and you you know more about each other so i i really think that Unfortunately, the more you care about someone, I think it is the easier the easier it is to do things like that. And I don't mm-hmm. think that that's good, but that's just in my experience that is probably true. Yeah. I do agree. Well, cuz it's like how the with kids, they always seem to rail more against the parent that is going to still stick around that they're more secure with that they can push. Uh, and let all that mm-hmm. stuff out with and the other one they're just more scared of and bottle everything up with not you know assuming there's another one that's less yeah. secure yeah um i will say though as someone who spent a lot of my life 
uh, adult life as a nurse, <laughs> a traditionally a female predominant profession, working with doctors, especially surgeons, uh, and who also was raised by an old fashioned surgeon type. Uh, it definitely is also a thing that happens. There's a lot of like emotional labor that goes on that in certain circumstances, you're like, this isn't super professional. I don't know why we're all allowed to just talk like this. Mm. Yeah. So um, I, I imagine you see that with like teachers too, and other, you know, traditionally female predominant profession yeah. I've, secretaries. I've, ex- I've experienced that at work also. Like most of um, the support <laughs> staff at my office are mostly women. And so that is something that definitely happens but i will not be saying more about that (laughs) (laughs) that's what the money is for scene um john ham is so good Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but also his like whole attitude about that really 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 reminds me of my dad and like makes me uncomfortable a little bit because it's like that's not really the way don treats her like, yes, this is her job, and yes, that is what the money is for, but, like, personally, between them, it has not been transactional like that. So, for then him to, like, throw her emotions back in her face like that when it's, like, he set her up to feel more yeah. special than that, like, it's just so unfair. And it's, like, I love my dad. He's great. But that is the type of crap that he does, which is, like, push me to the limit. And then when I lose my shit, be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're losing your shit. Like, (laughs) you know, this is all fun and games. This is all transactional. And it's like, then have it be that way and, like, step off me. (laughs) Yeah. I think about in season two when that whole affair with Bobby Barrett happened and Mm -hmm. Peggy was there for him and helped and, like for nothing in return and i don't mm-hmm. think she expected anything in return mm-hmm. um and i and so i agree with you that their relationship thus far has not been transactional like he's implying when he says all of that stuff to her yeah you can't change the rules just because now you know peggy's the one who needs emotional support bro right yeah, and it's, like, in these same scenes where she's saying, like, it's my birthday. I was supposed to be out of here an hour ago. He's like, well, you didn't tell me that. Oh, so now I'm supposed to feel bad? And it's like, yes, you are. Like, take some responsibility for how you've set up these relationships and how those relationships affect other people. Mm-hmm. You are supposed to feel like crap that you have cultivated an environment in which someone you work so closely with is not comfortable telling you that it's their birthday and they have a feeling about it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yes. You are supposed to be like crap. Yeah. yeah, that's completely on him. And and why are you surprised that someone feels bad when you are horrible to them and and that it's a woman who's crying? Someone who's just told that, like, yes, you're allowed to cry when you have feelings and not actually fight back. So now that you have feelings and aren't really allowed to fight back and that you're crying, I'm going to be mad about that, too. Duh. Yeah. And like, um, oh, I don't remember what I was going to say. I just love that as we get further and deeper into this, people are taking this shit from Don less. Like we had Allison throwing the thing and now we have Peggy making, I just love when 
people say snarky comments to Don, I think is what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah. Because oh, we have Peggy saying, he's like, oh, you could have just told me it was your birthday. And she's like, yeah, because there would be no consequences. <laughs> she <laughs> has a lot of good snarky lines in this episode mm-hmm. that and like funny lines that I will call out when we get to those scenes. But like, they're great. Yeah. She's doing a lot of fun stuff in this. It's 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 like Don's taking out his own insecurity about how talented, like Peggy is, and is like exercising his, you know, authority because he feels challenged or threatened. Maybe because I'm just thinking back to like, what's the first one of the first things he does when he's wasted after the Cleos last episode was to force Peggy in a potentially unsafe situation with Stan and lock her in a hotel room mm-hmm. over the weekend. Or it's like, oh, it's too early in your career to be counting ideas. By the way, here's the award that, like, you know, I won for my idea when it's, like, really one that they had worked on together. And it's Mm -hmm. just, like, yeah. Like, treating people like people goes so far. And the idea that, like, Don just thinks that, like, the say the line, Bart, um, that that's what the money's for. Like, like. And, like, a thank you doesn't need to even happen. It's just frustrating. All he needed to say was, "Thanks for your help on this." Like that is the minimum thing you could have said in this office. (laughs) To act like (laughs) that's what the money is for. Yeah, and it's it's not completely unlike Roger and the previous episode wanting credit for Don's uh, achievements and good work. Like he's becoming that old man. I will say though, uh, John Hamm love his acting, doing real good work that one moment where he's like oh now i'm supposed to feel bad and there is mm. there you could just see that flasher moment where yes he does feel bad no one is telling him he's supposed to feel bad he just has that voice in his head that's going you fucked up yeah and then the more childish side of him just takes over it's like i don't want to feel bad about it mm-hmm. i don't want to take responsibility for someone else's feelings <clears throat> and being held accountable yeah, it is very easy to go from defensive to on the def- on the yeah. offense. I think. Um, yeah, I I definitely resort to that occasionally. Um, and it was like a, it's a little hard to watch because I like mm-hmm. I've been there. Not in I don't think I'm as shitty as Don Draper, but you no, know. <laughs> no, because yeah, I I think. We we all have had moments like that. He does tend yeah. to remind me more of one, like the overly spoiled certainties to work with, and two, like the <laughs> five-year-old in my life when she's faced with the fact that she made a mistake and is now being held to it. Mm. I mean, it really does suck to be held to your mistake, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, nobody likes it. It does. <laughs> but we should anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's why you have to remind people, it's okay not to be perfect. Don, you don't have to be the hero. You can admit that people have helped you get here. Yes. The American dream of the self-made man is uh, a lie. Yeah. And yes. so we beat on. Yeah. Boats against the current. Yeah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder if this is like just because Disney's been churning out like Encanto and Turning Red and other intergenerational drama uh, movies. But I got very like you're just being an ungrateful child like dad vibes when when he was, you know, telling Peggy that like you should be 
thanking me and Jesus every day. <laughs> I have to tell you, like, hearing Don talk about Jesus in that way <laughs> feels so out of character for me. I was like, and I, I've seen this episode probably like seven or eight times. Like, I won't even, that's not an exaggeration. Um, but like every time he says it, I forget that he says it. And I'm like, who, who is this man? <laughs> but I know like- it's, I know it's coming from the place of Anna's dead or about to be died. Like, I feel like it is coming from that place. Yeah. Cause he's definitely trying to avoid grieving it, but he or her, but he knows he has to, cause she was, she was that important to him. She is more important than most of his ego, I say. I think it's safe to say. Not all of it. Yeah. Mm. Can I talk? Can I complain about Mark now? A hundred percent. Mark is one of those guys that's like, I'm such a nice guy, but like, didn't listen to a word his girlfriend told him ever, probably. <laughs> Like, he has her entire family there when it's supposed to be a romantic dinner. And, like, yeah, maybe Peggy was being a little bit of a dick to him about it. But, like, in a reaction to Don being a dick to her. But I really think that if she went to that dinner, she would have been so much more miserable than shouting at Don. Yeah. Like, I, I think she, like, I think her experience of staying at the office and shouting at Don instead of going to meet Mark was the best decision ever. Um, yeah, like, this is something positive. Like, their, yeah. Don and Peggy's relationship is going to grow forward from this. If she went to this dinner, she would have just been like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Also, like, poor Peggy's roommate just, like, sitting there <laughs> having a deal with, like, her mom, who's, like, the most overbearing, and the boyfriend who's just like, I'm into this place for 40 bucks already, which I put a my hand up to my face to pretend I was talking on the phone when I said that um (laughs) and I just I just wanted Peggy's roommate to be like sorry gotta go peace like I just she looked so uncomfortable yeah I don't need to be eating a meal with you people (laughs) I think it's weird she was invited (laughs) I don't know oh I don't I don't know that they were friends her mom didn't even know her name she said she called her the roommate like in front of her I don't know Although I get Yeah, that's true. Peggy too. probably doesn't tell her mom shit, so maybe she just wouldn't know her name. Well, it's like Mark planned this dinner and we know that he doesn't know anything. So sorry, Matt, go ahead. I was gonna say this is the first time we've seen Peggy's family in a while too, right? Yeah, I think yeah, that they really so. um when they were trying to get her into the church and Colin Hanks was like, How's that yeah, baby you like had? Two- that was like yeah, yeah that was that's season, season two. two. Oh my like God, I she was kind of like peace out. I can't deal with you guys. I mean, and she said Peggy says in the episode to Mark like, I can't stand those. I think she said it to him. She said it to someone like, I can't stand these people. What are you like trying to? What are you mm-hmm. trying to do? He's trying to woo she, the yeah, mom. She said you use my birthday to get in good with people who drive me crazy. Yes, that's the line. Yeah. And then she has that other line where she says, um, she's talking to Don eventually about Mark and she's like, he doesn't know me. It's not, and it's not my fault, which like, I just love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really love that too. 
Like, if Mark paid attention to her in any of the time they spend together, he would know her. Like, it isn't Peggy's fault that he just put this Mark, she just put this, or he just put this, like, Mark and Peggy idea in his mind and then couldn't be deterred, no matter how Peggy (laughs) actually exists. I I can't lie, guys. I just keep forgetting about Mark. (laughs) Every time I'm surprised. (laughs) It's like, is this the um... same guy who was like, let's have sex? And she was like, have a cookie instead? Yeah. She lied to him about being a virgin, I think. Wasn't that she? Yeah. She let him believe, like, this is like, Peggy, it is a little bit your fault that you let let him believe his own stupid narrative about you oh remember when he told don that they were engaged even though they weren't <gasps> yes i completely i thought that this was going to be a surprise proposal and i was like i'm gonna have to panic turn this off like i honestly don't know if i could sit through a surprise proposal that just I stresses it, me so um, far out <laughs> i i'm like i don't think it matters because they broke up but like honestly I wouldn't have been surprised if he proposed to her like i kind of got that impression too. yeah like why else would you have her family there for her birthday and then the roommate. <laughs> and the roommate. I love that. I just love that her mom calls her the roommate. Like, she doesn't no. even like <laughs> I mean, the roommate. Like, she's just listing people. The roommate. <laughs> I have some friends that I've known for 20 years. My mom still can't get their name right, though. And, like, we That's were fair. close friends. <laughs> I have, like, eight like, Melissa's. So I'm constantly, like, explaining. Mm-hmm. Well, I really have three Melissa's. So I'm constantly having to, like, explain to my mom which melissa <laughs> i'm talking about melissa you're chicago melissa hell yeah hell yeah <laughs> not to like out where you live sorry <laughs> no it's okay <laughs> yeah no <clears throat> mark is just so dopey yeah he's just got kind the of... <sighs> i'm glad all of this happened though because Peggy admits to Don that she knows she's supposed to get married and settle down, but she, none of that is as appetizing to her as working. Mm-hmm. And I just, it, when she was saying that, I don't know if you guys have seen the JLo movie, Marry Me, that's on Peacock. Mm-mm. I sure it's, have. It's, um, so basically like JLo is JLo, like a fake JLo type of person. And she's supposed to get married to her, like, singer boyfriend and then finds out, like, some not great stuff and decides to, like, marry someone from the audience of the marriage concert. It's very ridiculous. In any case, there's a part in the middle where she has this song called I Am the Love of the Love of My Life. And I'm like, Peggy needs to get in on this song and just be her own love of her life. Um, I've been pretty much singing that song since I watched the movie, so. Aww. It's Owen real Wilson? cute. Yes, it's cute and the soundtrack's fun, so I yes. I recommend. And I mean Peggy, I think Peggy isn't how do I want to put this? Like Peggy, I think she wanted to buy into that same narrative that Mark was buying into. She was definitely trying. Yeah, I but think it just so doesn't too. fit her. Yeah, I agree. I really I just relate to Peggy in this so much because I've never really thought about getting married and I'm not like as focused on my career as she is um but I just I never wanted to like get married and have a family and kids and I just feel like there is so much pressure Mm -hmm. 
to do those things and it's so hard and i'm sure it was even harder in 1965 to admit Mm -hmm. that than it is in 2022 you know where it's still yeah like it's still not great like people call you selfish if you don't want children people think there's something wrong with you and it's like people like the pope yes (laughs) i was at i was at my friend's grandmother's funeral it was it was a catholic funeral and i very much remember them describing his grandmother as this good catholic woman because she knew she was supposed to have children and like it hit, oh my god it was like literally like months after my hysterectomy so i was like oh great this is awesome <laughs> so uncomfortable <laughs> to be like basically told like i i mean obviously that's not my religion so whatever but like mm-hmm. it was just a lot to be like oh okay being basically being told to your face that you're not like a woman <laughs> you're not a woman you're not a good person no. yeah i feel you i grew up around those types. i have like an existential crisis every time i find myself in like a catholic ceremony of any kind like funerals weddings right heaven forbid mass <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah and that's the religion that, besides my, the one I grew up with, that I've been the most exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my friends New growing Jersey. up were Catholic. New yeah, Jersey. I'm from New Jersey, so. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like everyone, you know, half my friends are, were from here, were Catholic, so. Side note, one of my favorite Jon Stewart jokes is when he was talking to Tony Blair, who had just converted to Catholicism now that he wasn't prime minister. And Jon said that his wife is Catholic and he's Jewish and they're raising their kids to be sad. (laughs) Oh, I remember (laughs) that joke. (laughs) It's my favorite. That was a good one. It is really good. (laughs) That's funny. I'm really shocked that we had like a religious conversation and Matt like wasn't part of it. I think, because I just keep going back to the idea of, like, needs and boundaries and how we communicate them or how we're not able to communicate them and, like, the in relation to, like, the power structures at play around us. And I think a lot of Peggy's journey as illuminated by this episode directly relates to what her boundaries are and what her wants and needs are, whether it's, you know with what she's been socialized to, like in this relationship with Mark that we're talking about, even going back to a lot of this Mark stuff, I think being callbacks to the pilot episode when Joan is like touring Peggy around the office on her first day and be like, if you play your cards right, you know, you can win one of these men and never have to work again and blah, 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 blah. Right. Right. Um, And like within patriarchy, we as a society like basically train and coach women and and femme presenting folks to kind of put their needs less their boundaries don't exist what you know they're sacrificing again this is like that that catholic thing you're talking about it's kind of just like (laughs) a cultural thing especially in in the western world um it's like you may have wants and needs but you need to put those aside for the greater good of the emotional labor of taking you know, the literal labor or emotional labor of running the house or taking (laughs) care of the children or, you know, being a punching bag for your boss or husband. Right. And 
I'm so sorry, Matt. <laughs> You're making a good point, but it's instinct now to just repeat the greater good. Oh, the greater good. Uh, <laughs> right? And it's interesting to me that, like, as much as, like, Don is pushing Peggy's boundaries and Peggy isn't in a position to push back more than she wants to in terms of, oh, I've been stuck in Don's web. You know what he's like? I can't come to dinner. Um, she is more comfortable asserting those needs and those boundaries and sharing them. And even in that conversation where she says aloud kind of to herself, but also to Don that line, Lisa, you mentioned, but he doesn't know me and it's not my fault. We haven't seen her express her needs or her wants like that aloud or in the presence of someone else. And it's just an interesting choice. And I think it's part of what makes this episode works because there's that kind of reciprocal sharing eventually back and forth between Don and Peggy where it's like that expression of needs, wants, boundaries, identity is with Don and not with her now ex-boyfriend. I really like that you pointed out how she kept blaming Don at first because it's her. She's the one who wants to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I like yeah. That. She would be miserable if she went to that dinner. Like she wants nothing more than to be working. I mean, I don't think she wants to be yelled at, but like, I don't think, I think this is. And they both she... don't want to do what their plans were, right? Like, he mm-hmm. gives his ticket away. He stays like they want to do the work. And like whether that's like a healthy work life balance thing, like probably not. But like yeah. that's where they are kindred spirits, right? Where they want right. to do the work, right? It's just yeah. interesting. And that's I think Don was also looking together. for distraction, but yeah, that doesn't. It's also Peggy's exclude. birthday, though, right? Is that mm-hmm. why she, yeah. like, you know what I mean? So maybe she's looking like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm yeah. not gonna be working on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I like that she. You're um, almost forty. At least time wants. to get over birthdays. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty six. You're an adult. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that she owns it. That this is what she wants, um, and not what she's supposed to want. She's, you know, I dug. I dig that. I dig that. I really like the switch in this episode. I feel like we're ha- we have like a pivot now and that Peggy can be a little bolder in how she speaks to Don. Like I really enjoyed when she basically and I this happened in her earlier scene, but she's like it's not my fault you don't have any family or friends. Like she would not have said yeah. that to him mm-hmm. in the past. And like when they're sitting um at the bar and she's like saying, you know, oh, the guys don't line up for me. And he's like, I very, he very rightly was like, do you really want that? Like the way that, or not line up, but like stare at her. And, you know, then he tells her how she's cute, but he has to have rules. And I just love what she was like, I guess I'm not as attractive as some of your other secretaries or whatever she says. And I just laughing because she knows all about Allison and Mm -hmm. he knows that she knows about Allison and I just I really loved this scene so much of them at the bar and just the look she gives him like they're very equal at that in in that moment they're equals and I just really like that conversation 
Like, she was almost teasing him like how, like, Roger would tease him. You know what I mean? It just felt like more friends than a supervisor and an employee mm-hmm. in, in that. The bar scene, like, I can't... The words don't exist for talk about how much, like, I enjoy it. But I think it's worth calling out the, the exchange where they're, they're sharing kind of what they know about each other and they're... I was going to say clandestine or like, you know, private histories or things like that. Um, when Don asks her if she ever thinks about it, meaning, you know, mm-hmm. the child that, that she gave up for adoption. Um, and she says, I try not to, but sometimes like it's hard or whatever. And then like, it's says playgrounds. Like you drive by a playground and it makes her think about it. And that single like word tense playgrounds is, Elizabeth Moss's favorite line of the series mm. and it just it's it's that scene is like so so good so good mm-hmm. John Hamm and Elizabeth Moss just in that like one moment where they're just meeting eyes it's so mwah, chef's kiss just that's what you're here for I thought a lot about um Don saying back then like oh you'll be surprised how much this never happened and it's like we've been through so much now that like even Don knows that things don't just go away. So they've both, they both have like these huge, like, like essentially like personality shaping secrets. And Mm -hmm. he's probably the only person or she is probably, excuse me, the only person that he knows that also leads, you know, a double life in a certain Mm -hmm. sense. And so that's the person that he can be like, do you ever think about it? AKA, I've been thinking about it and I've been drinking about it and I've been (laughs) about it. And (laughs) so, yeah, I thought that that scene was really nice too. Were you guys surprised to find out that Peggy's mom thinks that Don is responsible for that whole thing? Yes, I was. I was very surprised by that. Yes and no. It yeah. makes sense, but at the same time, I just, I just never, never thought, thought of it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It it would surprise me knowing Peggy that she would continue to work there if that was the case. I mean, mm-hmm. I know she still works with Pete, but it's not the same thing. He's not her boss. Right. Mm-hmm. Slash mentor. Exactly. Um, it just made me it just made me feel further that her mom does not understand her. Yeah. yeah. I think that I maybe thought Don knew whose baby it was. I was kind of surprised when he asked her who it was. Like if she knew who it was and she was like, right. "Yeah, of course." Yeah, I never thought Don knew. Don is not <laughs> as perceptive as he's really good at right. making us think sometimes. Right. Especially when he's, you know, buried in his own shit. Or vomiting into a toilet. Like a lot of vomit. Yeah, it was really disgusting. Um, And what does he do after he asks Peggy to make him a drink? Oh my gosh, that was... And and I appreciated that she was basically like, why are you continuing to do this to yourself? Like, she finally is like, you're you're just becoming a drunk now. Not becoming Mm -hmm. one, but... Uh, you're gonna be a non, non. You're not gonna be a functioning one. You're gonna be duck. 
Yeah. I love oh God. her oh, God. Um, when she's like telling him off earlier about like how they ended up in this mess. You know, another one of Danny's stupid ideas because you hired him to cover up the fact that you stole one of his other stupid ideas because you were drunk. Like, let's spell yeah. this out so clearly. We are mm-hmm. in this mess because of your drinking. You were throwing up in the toilet at work with me. Because of your drinking, <laughs> like, and you're having another drink. <laughs> what are you doing? I just like, in a, I, I, fa- I mean, it's so gross, but it, it's so comedic to me that in the middle of Don just vomiting, Duck shows up. Oh my! Also God. drunk, and then tries to take a dump in Don's <laughs> office, but is in the wrong office because he's never been to this office before. This never stops being bananas to me. But I uh, also hate that. Sorry. No, no, no. Keep going, please. I hate that Peggy's having to side, decide between taking care of two different drunk ass men. Uh, yeah. Like, half of me is like, I probably would have just been like, here. Half <laughs> of me would have just been like, peace out. And then I'm like, I'm lying. I would have helped on because I am Peggy. And I am me. And I just, I would have known that helping Don was a more, was probably more meaningful. Like, he's more meaningful to her, I think. Mm -hmm. Don probably has more of a sense of Peggy as a human, separate from how she makes him feel. Well, yeah, because Duck's like, we were in love and all that nonsense. Oh, yeah. She's like, the fuck? It's it's almost like a status (sighs) thing for Duck that, like, this, because he's lost everything else. Mm-hmm. Due to his own bad choices, and I, I do think it's hilarious that he try he gets the wrong office because he just genuinely is incapable of doing anything right right now. <laughs> yeah, like ever. Uh, Duck. It's just so embarrassing for all of them because so... he's probably what twice Peggy's age. Don's not that much farther behind him, and here's Peggy having to yeah. be the adult. Yes. It was like a nice gesture for Don to swing on Duck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but really, these are just two drunk idiots. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just grossed out by the vomit on Don's shirt for the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm so I'm like, take your shirt off at least. Like you are wearing an undershirt under we there. Know Please he take your shirt extra off. Shirts. Yeah, I was but, thinking like, about it's that. It's late at night. Just wear your undershirt at this point. Like <laughs> unless it's seep through. <laughs> like how Don. many <laughs> Yeah. Don. Don Don. Don da dun dun dun. <laughs> I really think that Don on the couch with the sh- that shirt was probably the most unattractive. Like I it is like removing all of the times Don was an asshole and that makes him unattractive. This was like the most unattractive scene I've ever seen him in. Yeah. Because it was just such a mess. Such a mess. And then, as you said earlier, he wants another drink. You know, that old cure. How many (sighs) times did Peggy go to the elevator and not leave the office? Oh my God. (laughs) Three to four, right? So many. And I really think that that was that was kind of reiterating to me that she would rather be at work than anywhere else, rather mm-hmm. be doing the work. Yeah, because so many times she could have just gotten in the elevator. 
and let all this lie. Yeah. And hung out with Mark. Nah. Who who can who can Mark turn seems that kind down? of Mark seems kind of boring. Yeah. I suspect that's kind of what she was after though. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't think that that suits her. Mm-mm. She's playing a part, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'm go- hopefully she's done with that <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's it's fake and it's not her. Yeah. And the, you know, looking for validation of the older man type thing. Yeah. Ugh, duck. So I wonder how Chansey's doing. Oh my goodness. Chauncey. Chauncey, sorry. <laughs> you should apologize to that dog that was in the one the one episode. Uh, everyone should apologize to that dog. I like to think that some very nice rich person who has a lot of means to take care of this dog found it on Madison Avenue and took it home and their kids really loved that dog. Arakita Avita. <laughs> okay, so Melissa, I have a question for you as our resident first-time watcher. Okay. What did you think of Anna and the suitcase? <laughs> um, I liked it. I it had been a while since Madman had just like gone like overboard with um like symbols or like however you want to call that um and just like ridiculous plots so this episode really gets back to a lot of stuff that we like about Mad Men which is just like Anna putting her literal baggage in the suitcase and then disappearing as a ghost we get it and like Duck trying to take a shit on Roger's chair like we get it. Sometimes Madman is absolutely unhinged. <laughs> um, but I I really, I liked it, I think. Also, there were two ghosts on Grey's Anatomy this week, so I'm just having a lot of ghosts in my medias right now. It really did make me think of when Meredith was in the coma and her she like woke up knowing her mom had passed. Because she saw her. Yeah, and then she woke up knowing that DeLuca had passed. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yep, and that um, happened again, yeah. But yeah, I don't necessarily think that is, like, I think it would be a little too much to hope for that, like, all of the literal baggage has been packed into the suitcase and taken away with the ghost, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I do, like, we've talked about before how, like, Mad Men can be a little on the nose with its, like, metaphors and, and imagery. And I think the idea of the titular suitcase, but it, it, it's a motif that's come up before in the show. And, like, some of the Don Draper's flashbacks where um, Uncle Mac was talking about dreaming of a suitcase or when Don goes rogue in California earlier and the suitcase loses his luggage and the suitcase appears back in um at the draper residence and he's not there and you know different things and and like that with the emotional baggage etc etc but it's like what we carry with us and all of peggy's ideas as don points out keep back to wanting to throw this suitcase off a building off the eiffel tower because like you know it's so indestructible blah 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 but I think it, it all ties back to what we're talking about with, like, Peggy also in this episode as well, like, wanting to 
step into herself and this version of herself and this life that that she wants that she wants for herself we talked earlier like there were a couple episodes ago about how peggy was trying different things on and she was you know hanging out with joyce and going to that party and like i think that's who peggy wants to be not the girl from brooklyn that her mother expects her to be right so just throw that suitcase off the eiffel tower I didn't think about the symbolism of any of that while watching this, and I, it really does. Hearing you explain it this way really adds to it for me. I don't know why I didn't. My co-host on I'm very literal. Wild Pretty Things, Jarrett, whom we all know and love, um, has a lot of feelings about like literal baggage in movies, and so I have that in my <laughs> the back of my mind now. <laughs> <laughs> Jarrett is wonderful. Um, I yeah, I didn't even think about any of that. Now I'm thinking about the packing and unpacking in Mulholland Drive. Sorry, you, you mentioned Jarrett, <laughs> and I immediately got a lynch. Yeah, I've listened to Wild Pretty Things, <laughs> which I I'm on the Mulholland Drive episode of that. You sure are. Um, yeah, that was my first time watching it. Mine too. Um, it was great. One thing that I really loved about how this episode kind of wraps up is the scene at the end or towards the end when Don and Peggy are talking in the office in his office and he like grabs her hand a little bit. Mm. Yeah. And I I hand hand touching is very important yeah. to me in my mm-hmm. life. Um and I they under this scene I love I love hand touching because it's very you can t- you can say something without it being verbal. They have an understanding, they can trust each other and that is what I read from that like that hand, you know, I'm 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 here. Even if like, you know, next week they're yelling at each other again, you know, deep down, they they have that understanding that they see each other. Mm-hmm. They see who the other one is. Yeah, I really love that. And I also really loved the very last shot of the episode with like Peggy asking if Don wants his door open and he says yes. And then you can just see him in his office and like the door's all the way open and like the windows are op- like, you know, no blinds. Yeah. And it's like all sunny. And I'm like, oh, are we going to be healed now? Yeah, it, it made me. Yeah, it makes you really hopeful mm-hmm. for what's what's next. Like, hopefully he can get through this hump i guess (laughs) i mean it's hard to say it's a hump when he's been drinking the whole show but it's been a lot worse this season yeah yeah he's not able to function and act like it's not a big deal anymore yeah i feel hopeful at the end of this episode i almost started singing touching hands <laughs> sorry <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> i sing now on podcasts apparently uh that's probably just matt's good influence a hundred percent is yeah <laughs> yeah um, bits and bobs bits and bobs Bits and bobs bits and bobs <laughs> so as, as good as this episode was overall and as much as i enjoyed it it's still mad men being mad men in all the best ways and all the ways that are incredibly frustrating 
Um, I would like to call out Ida Blankenshit's um, really bad racist joke about when everyone's talking about the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, God, yeah. mm-hmm. Just super not, casual, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah, she doesn't not care who's great. around. Not, not great, Bob. And I did also want to talk about or just kind of call it when harry's giving out the free tickets to see the the fight at the movie theater free free Um, for some (laughs) free for some but but not for all and there's there's um a lot of a lot of anti-semitism going going back and forth and i think i thought that danny had had mentioned it at first who's seagull so we're implying that he is he's jewish but it, at least you correctly put in the notes that it was harry you threw it out first yeah but I, also, I went mm-hmm. back and and watched the scene oh. again after i wrote yeah. that to make sure yeah yeah but even that like then danny goes back and like trading in those tropes it, like i still think it's yeah you know that idea of trying to like then be part of the joke not the butt of the joke and mm-hmm. that's not right. great just don't make anti-semitic jokes don't make yeah. racist jokes I, like i was happy I was happy Danny called him out a little bit at first and said, you talk to your friends in Hollywood that way. Like, yeah, but like you also shouldn't need to have Jewish friends to not talk that mm-hmm. way. And then it became yeah. like a weird competition of who can call the other more Jewish. I, yes. I don't know. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I'm so glad that we get to start yet another episode with like a little light uh, discrimination and hate speech. It's great. guys. Yeah, there Love was it. a little bit. Yeah, there was a little homophobia too. I don't know if you caught it when Duck was trying to sell Peggy on this job or whatever. He called the guy from Belgium queer, oh, um, and like, you know, I, you know, he he sells, he makes makeup. He must be gay. Um, I don't remember if we ever had found out that person's um, sexuality from when Peggy like came up with that cute slogan mm-hmm. about the kisses. It's like, great. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Yeah. I also thought, oh, um, that reminds me. Uh, sort of. It remind. Uh, I also thought I was interested in the part where Don was like, oh, let's really buckle down and do this work. Now I'm going to go on a really weird long tangent on Cassius Clay. Yeah. And, ugh, who does he think he is? Talking about how he's the greatest and listened. He just keeps his head down and gets the job done and it's projecting much there much yeah 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 because in a lot of ways it's so it's such an old-fashioned and such an old-fashioned like mindset of like you know working class just getting the job done no need for fanfare but also it's that is the preferred way that people would see um, a successful black man they want the mm-hmm. one who's quiet who's humble who keeps his head down who right. does the work who mm-hmm. entertains us who doesn't yeah. rabble rouse and then you've got Cassius at the time Cassius Clay and I think right before the right before that fight Cassius X before he became Muhammad Ali before he changed his name um, talking about how he's the greatest and just there's something really incredibly defiance in being a successful black man who talks about being the greatest publicly without backing Mm -hmm. down and then backing it up and I know there's a whole thing in there about people thinking that it was fixed uh in the match because you know the phantom punch and the picture and all that stuff but it 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 almost got there with this really interesting thing where they like actually touched upon something that I was interested in, in how they deal with race of like, yeah, they don't like him because he's, 
he's an uppity one. He's the one who thinks too highly of himself. Right. So I thought that was actually a good one. My dad is... No, you're fine. I was interrupting. Um, My dad was a huge Muhammad Ali fan, and during this fight, my dad was probably 13. And it's so interesting to see the difference between, like, you know, Don, who is, you know, probably 40 or whatever age he is, and my dad, who is 13, and my dad was, like... My dad literally, like, has a shirt that says, I am the greatest (laughs) on it. Like... (laughs) Just, like, is really cute. I really found it interesting to watch this. I know this episode takes place in May of 65, and the film One Night in Miami is, I think, February of 64. Mm. But it really... I didn't. I don't know that much about Muhammad Ali. So after watching that movie, it kind of made this episode a little bit more interesting for me. And the way that Don says Muhammad Ali, like, how, who is this man to be changing his name? Like, it, it just to add on to what you were saying, he was very mm-hmm. much like, what gives this guy the right? And I'm like thinking how As if funny Don that didn't is steal now. another man's name. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously Muhammad Ali, like, didn't just pretend to be a different person, but like, it is funny to me, and I didn't realize it until I was saying it, that, like, Don changed his mm-hmm. name, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Don, who does? Who do you think you are? Yeah, like, he, he like, scoffs at him, and I'm like, are you kidding me now? <laughs> yeah. And for... It's, it just... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. I was just gonna say, it just feels so madman to have, like, a correct and interesting point about how, like civility politics and like mm-hmm. expected behavior is actually a tool of oppression mm-hmm. but only to like to uh copy to paraphrase another white man in Bo Burnham to use it through the old like the myoptic lens of Don's self-actualization right like that mm-hmm. just to frame it that way is just like the most madman thing ever it's like oh you're almost there but it's still about our sad boy. yeah <laughs> a little closer than usual because for yeah. for Ali that was him shedding a, um, a, an identity that was placed upon him, you know, through Andrew Drake, right. yeah. through trauma and a, a not that long ago history of, of, you know, slavery and becoming his true self. And Don just went the other way. Yep. Yep. That's Don. so true. I did like also when Peggy's like, oh, I think he's handsome. And when Don says, I don't think so. And he goes, you're not supposed to. And I remember my mom burning, a, you know, saying something similar about Nat King Cole in a way that made my dad, quote, quote, made my dad burn all his records. <laughs> yes, that that line was, I thought the same. I was like, I just like that. Uh, I just really enjoyed all, most of Peggy's line readings in this. Mm-hmm. Just telling Don what's what. Yeah, I don't often appreciate how Ma- Matt Weiner writes women, Peggy included, um, but, you know. <laughs> Weiner, he got he got one by you this time. Yeah, I'll let him. Pa- I'll let him stay <laughs> for this one, but all the other ones, and just for who he is as a person. Eh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna just say I got excited at the beginning of the episode when they're in the creative room and Danny starts talking about James Bond, mm. and he's like, he met a girl underwater because they were like trying to figure out what to do with their. I don't, know. I don't even remember if that was, like, on Samsonite or if they were talking about something else. 
Mm-hmm. And to myself, I'm like, Thunderball, I love that movie. And then I was like, wait, Thunderball hadn't come out yet. So maybe Danny just had read the book. Because <laughs> Thunderball he- came out in December of 65 and the novel came out in March of 61. Danny seems a type to, uh, to, to have read the book. Yeah. I just want I just it's just to jump back to to Don and Peggy and I want bits and bobs but like um their trauma bonding moment about watching their fathers die mm. and like sharing that story was just mm. I think it's it feels kind of foundational to both of them to be honest yeah but I just remembered we skipped over He's, that so I just wanted to call that back he shared so much about himself that he'd never shared with anyone like on top yeah. of that like he told her he grew up on a farm he said he didn't know his mother. Like, he didn't go as far as to say she was a sex worker. But, like, he told her as much as he was going to ever tell anyone, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just really... It was interesting to watch him open up like that. But I do think that, that those two... The fact that they both experienced that connects them in a way. I don't think I like Joey. Do you guys like Joey? <laughs> No, that dude I'm not sucks. a janitor. I called him generic white dude number five. He is such a dick. I am. Um, how he talks to Joan. I always forget who he is. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't remember his name. He's just always there, and I'm just supposed to, like, assume he's been there? I yeah, guess? Yeah, he's, like, one of those people that you just are like, where did this guy come from? So he is freelance art. So Stan is now the new art director, but Joey was who they hired as, like, a freelance artist, so he appeared oh. in season four in the New Age. Is he the new Smith and Smith or whatever? Half of them, anyways. I guess yeah. Danny is. I guess is the Dan other is one. the other one, but like, one's permanent. Rec- like Stan's like an actual employee. Yeah, yeah. I'm really bad at remembering names, uh, and I often reach a point where I it's just too late to ask someone's name, and that's where I am with him. <laughs> Can we talk about Sterling's gold? Jesus. Please. <laughs> 10 out of 10, I would read this nonsensical, full of himself book. I'm sure it would be 99% bullshit. Um, I would read it anyway. And the part that made me laugh the, the most was that Roger says he banged Ida Blinkenship and then says, you know what, don't, don't use her name. And I'm like, honestly, I would never like expect Roger to like try to protect someone's identity in this way um or is he embarrassed and i don't think it's that he's embarrassed i think he actually was like okay maybe i shouldn't just out this lady that i had sex with cooper hates me because i i had sex with his secretary because of my sexual sexual prowess and i and then the the other thing that roger says that i laughed so hard is after he explains the story about how um (laughs) cooper had his balls removed and then he says like i love that roger even knows the name of the doctor that did this even though he didn't remember what year it happened he was like 1932 i mean no first he says 48 48, then he says 32 then he says 39 and then he goes (laughs) lyle evans md i think he had him killed (laughs) Like, and also he remembered oh the word God. orchiectomy, just probably yes. so he could always throw it back at him. <laughs> uh, what a dick! I just feel like it would be very um, like Tucker Max vibes. Mm, 
Yes. That's a nice old throwback. Christ. I was going to say, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Roger's a piece of shit, but he tells the story really funny. Like, his mannerisms and his phrasing is often How much of these tapes... Even if he's saying, like, the worst shit ever. remembers making. (laughs) I don't know, but I'm still laughing at C-Tape 3. (laughs) C-Tape 3. (laughs) Who's going to listen to this and, like, transcribe it? Some poor secretary. Miss Blankenship. I know. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I hope he's paying them extra. That's not part of their normal duties. No, probably not. That's what the money's for. Sterling's Gold is the dumbest name, and I love it so much. Oh, Roger. So, like, obviously the drinking is, like, very problematic on this show, and they just keep hitting that over and over again with every character. Um, Roger, like, on fright, on fight night, excuse me, after Freddie Rumson and them get involved in his plans, he's like, oh, if we want to drink, we're going to need to do it before. And, like, the way that he, like, sneaks out to the bar to, like, have drinks because he's, like, bored being with, you know, people who don't drink. Like, that is really not great. And it also made me do a little introspection and be like, oh, <laughs> uh, there is probably, yeah. like, times when I've had questionable prior- questionable priorities in terms of like whether or not I should care so much about like drinking or like pre-gaming or like you know whatever we should all maybe consider taking a look at our drinking (laughs) yeah I um I definitely had a similar feeling um I'm sure that there are times where I had, like, maybe not out loud to their faces because I try to be as l- mm-hmm. not rude as possible, even if I think shitty things sometimes, that, like, I might have been like, oh, that person's being a party pooper when, like, they were literally doing the best thing for themselves, like, and that's not great. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that, too. You know what? Self-awareness is great. Yeah. I don't think I think that way anymore about people's drinking. I couldn't give a shit what other people are doing now with regards to drinking. Yeah, I feel like we maybe did it. Oh, it was so fun to see Ken back in with his like little banter with his little friends. (laughs) Confirmed the wedding happened. We didn't get to see it. I'm very happy for you, Melissa. (laughs) Do you think that we'll ever be his wife? I mean, I guess don't answer that because we all know know the answer to that. (laughs) Okay, can you just tell me? Do you want me to tell you on the podcast or should I tell you afterwards? Matt, Amy, do you think it's fair for me to know? (laughs) Honestly, I don't know whether Ken gets married. No, Ken is no whether his wife is ever on the show. Oh, well, listeners, we'll just say that it's a real Secret Life of Alex Mack situation. All right. I don't Until... get that reference. <laughs> that oh, was like, I was thinking something similar. <laughs> oh, it's all coming back. I'm going to have to do homework to, to find out the spoilers. <laughs> okay. Well, I remember, at least I remember thank now. you so much for coming. Yay! You're welcome back anytime. There aren't there are far from ten things we hate about you. There are zero things that we hate about you. Alright. <laughs> and until until your next appearance, where 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 can folks find you on the internet? 
Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you can find me and Matt on our podcast, Pod Rates, at on Twitter and Instagram at Pod Rates, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S. I had to think about that because you normally say that. <laughs> it, is, it is a mouthful. It's a good pun, but it is a mouthful <laughs> to say. Annie, what about you? Where can folks find more of you on the internet? Uh, well, I happen to have another podcast called The Daily Nightly, spelled with a K, where we're currently reading through or about to finish up Mansfield Park. Uh, and you can find that on any podcatcher of your choice. Awesome. And what about you, Melissa? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mel Yellow or co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. And you can also catch me talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine with Elise on the aforementioned pod rates. You can find all of us together on Twitter at at StillGreatPod. And you can email us at at StillGreatBob at gmail.com. And please remember to rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. And as always, thank you to DJ Empirical for our very groovy theme song. The best. Yeah. Until next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Hey. Touching hands.